Well, good evening, friends. Please turn in your Bibles to the book of Revelation, Revelation chapter 3. And I hope you picked out a sermon outline as you came in this evening. In their evening services, we've been considering these seven letters to the churches. And um, let's briefly recap what we've considered already. And in the outline, you will see um, an outline of the, the letters to seven churches from the ESV Study Bible. That's where that's, that table or that chart is from. And hopefully the goal at the end of this is that you will know each of the seven churches and why Christ was writing to them and remember uh, the promise that Christ gives them. So the letter to Ephesus, this is what we looked at the first week. And this was a church that was strong on doctrine and yet it had lost its first love. It needed to repent. It needed to remember the love of Christ that first motivated them. And then the promise, if they did this, was that they would eat of the tree of life. Then we looked at the, church, the letter to the church in Smyrna, a church that remained faithful, even under attack, and yet it feared persecution. And so Christ reminds them not to be afraid, for he has promised them the crown of life. And after that, we looked at the letter to the church in Pergamon, and they are known for their courage. They are living in a city that is described as where Satan dwells. And even one of the church, Antipas, was killed for his faithful witness. And yet this was a church that had compromised. It had compromised over false teaching that you can love the world and be a Christian. And so Christ tells them to repent of that belief and find instead hidden manna find their satisfaction in Christ. And then last week we looked at the letter to the church in Thyatira, a church that was loving and yet it was tolerating false teaching from this prophetess Jezebel who encouraged sexual immorality and the worshiping of idols if that meant success. And Christ tells them not to hold on to this teaching instead if they do so, they would rule the nations in Christ's victory, and they would see the glory of Christ. They would see the morning star. Remember, each of these letters are applicable to us here in Bloomington. And this evening, we come to the letter to the church in Sardis. So Revelation chapter 3, and we're reading verses 1 to 6. And to the angel of the church in Sardis write, these things says he who has the seven spirits of God and the seven stars. I know your works, that you have a name, that you are alive, but you are dead. Be watchful and strengthen the things which remain that are ready to die, for I have not found your works perfect before God. Remember therefore how you have received and heard, hold fast and repent. Therefore, if you will not watch, I will come upon you as a thief, and you will not know what hour I will come upon you. You have a few names, even in Sardis, who have not defiled their garments, and they shall walk with me in white, for they are worthy. He who overcomes shall be clothed in white garments, and I will not blot out his name from the book of life, but I will confess his name before my father, and before his angels. He who has an ear, let him hear 
what the Spirit says to the churches. So the grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of our God stands forever. Well, I wonder if you've ever been on a long car journey. It's nighttime, and you are the driver. Everyone else in the car is asleep, and you yourself, you are exhausted from driving, and you're struggling to stay awake, and your eyes, they just keep dropping. And so you turn off the heat, you open the window, you listen to music, you sit yourself up on your seat, you slap your face, you do anything you can in an effort to wake yourself up. And then all of a sudden, you feel the thud, 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 thud as your tires go along the bumps on the hard shoulder. You wake up and you have this terrible feeling inside. You know the consequences could have been very serious. Well, tonight we're going to look at a church in a very similar condition as driving down the road, falling asleep. And the consequences likewise are serious. The church in Sardis is a sleeping church. Unlike the other churches that we have looked at in this series, there's no accounts of persecution, nor is there mention of false teaching. These were two of the biggest problems that were plaguing the early church. Sardis was free from that, but it had a bigger problem. It was spiritually asleep. And so I want you to notice that you are to wake up from your complacency by remembering the gospel. Otherwise, you will not be ready for Christ's return and miss out on the promise of your name in the book of life. And children, I encourage you to draw a picture, a picture of you in your bed and your mom or your dad waking you up in the morning. And let me know what happens if you don't wake up. I look forward to seeing those pictures. Well, firstly, let's consider Christ knows the real you. Christ knows the real you in verses 1 and 2. So Christ knows the church in Sardis. For although the church had this great reputation of life, the reality was it was dead. Hendrickson describes it in this way. Sardis was a very peaceful church. It enjoyed peace, but it was a peace of that of a cemetery. The church in Sardis it had this great reputation. Every Lord's Day, people went to church. They listened to the preaching of God's word. They praised God. They enjoyed each other's company. They sacrificed in their giving, in their tithes and offerings. They were moral people. They accepted the teachings of the Bible. They were well respected by the community. And this can be true today. We can consider many churches. We can visit them. We can go on their website or watch their, their services on YouTube. And we come away thinking, wow, that's an amazing church. They have so much going on. It looks really healthy. But the reality is much different. It's like going to the doctor, complaining of a headache, something that doesn't seem that significant. And you're not concerned about it because you know that you have good health. You're careful about what you eat. You do regular exercise. Your parents have lived long, and so the expectation is that you will do the same. You have this persistent, dull headache that you can't get rid of. And you go to the doctor, and the doctor tells you, I have bad news for you. The reason for the headache is that of a tumor, and you have only weeks to live. And so it's shocking. 
It seems contrary to reality, but it is the truth. That's what's going on here at Sardis. It looks good, but the reality is much different. Christ comes and he looks at the hearts of those in Sardis. And he doesn't see commitment. He doesn't see devotion. He doesn't see life. Rather, he sees them as dead. Christ knows their deeds and he knows the hearts where these deeds come from. And so Christ, as he looks at the hearts of those in Sardis, he sees what they are really like. He sees that rather than having a commitment to him, their concern was for the outward. They were more interested in appearing impressive to the world around them. And that's possibly why there is no mention of persecution. They were seeking to please the world rather than seeking to please God. Now, it's not that Sardis is an empty shell of a church. It's not that nothing was going on. Verse 2, Christ tells the church to strengthen what remains, that their works are not perfect. They're not complete before God. And that phrase, before God, is key. Before men, the church looks healthy. But before God, the church is near dead. And isn't this a challenging thought? What does Christ think of our church? Yes, we like the church in Sardis. We enjoy a good reputation. There is a busyness. There's lots of people. We are respected. But the more difficult question is, how are we doing on the inside? Are you alive or are you dead? Are you growing in your faith in Christ? And yes, this is difficult to measure. It's not even seen in our attendance at church. Although attendance here at church is good, it's important, you're certainly not demonstrating spiritual life if you're not attending church, not attending to the means of grace. But it's also easy to come here for the wrong reasons. We can simply come out of habit, or we come out of keeping up appearances, or we come out of superstitious reasons, thinking that God will be kind to us because I went to church. Isaiah the prophet was critical of Old Testament Israel for this reason. And he writes in Isaiah 29, Therefore the Lord said, Inasmuch as these people draw near with their mouths and honor me with their lips, but have removed their hearts far from me, and their fear toward me is taught by the commandment of men. And so we see here in Israel, like Sardis, a nominal Christianity was all in name, but not in heart. Paul told Timothy in 2 Timothy 3, that in the last age, which is now, to watch out for those having a form of godliness, but denying its power. From such people, turn away. This is what we need to watch out for. Many denominations have become complacent, and it's led to nominal Christianity. And so instead, what's going on in your hearts? Are we hungry to learn more of God, to hear more about our salvation? Do we desire to be encouraged in our walk with God, even willing to be confronted where we have done wrong? Are we praying to God? Do we come to him in faith, asking him for help, depending on him each day for his blessing? And prayer is a good sign of who you are before God. Prayer demonstrates whether your faith is in God 
whether it's before God or whether it's before man. If you're not praying and yet saying you're a believer to everyone else, well, there's something wrong. Your faith is before man. My prayer is hard. That's why the prayer meeting is a helpful way to encourage you in your prayer life, to encourage you to pray. And so I encourage you, whether it's Sunday morning or Wednesday evening, whether it's at the Bible studies here or whether it's during the church services, to savor these times of prayer before God. Prayer demonstrates a heart that is dependent on God. And the more we pray, the more we humble our hearts and we're asking God for his help and for his provision. So Christ knows the real you. Who are you before God? Well, secondly, Christ's remedy is for you to keep watch. Verses two and three. How can the church in Sardis change its way? It's been described as dead. What's the treatment to make this church alive? Well, Christ tells the church to wake up. New King James is to be watchful. Do not be complacent. See the danger that you are in. You need to become stronger or you will die. Your works are not complete. And so this church needs to see the dire situation that it is in. They need to stir themselves up into action. They cannot be apathetic. This is a call to action. Now we're in the fall season and soon it will be winter and we're looking forward to lighting our wood-burning stove. But with the stove, you have to watch it. If you leave it for too long, the fire will die down and the house will cool down. You need to keep watching it. You need to make sure there's enough wood at hand that you're constantly putting wood on the fire so that you never let it die down. When you see the flames getting smaller, well, there is an urgency to get the fire roaring again. Well, that urgency is needed in the church. We can't sit back. No, we need to fan the flames back to life. So never grow complacent. There are churches that were once vibrant that within a generation have died down to an inch of their life. And the church at Sardis would be all too aware of the dangers of growing complacent. As a city, Sardis was located on top of a high, steep hill. So it had these natural fortifications. And this made it very difficult for enemies to come and capture the city. It was thought to be impenetrable. And yet the city of Sardis was captured twice. And the reason for its capture was that on both occasions, the guards had fallen asleep. They were complacent. And so the enemies, they were able to scale the steep cliffs without any pushback. The city was completely unaware and so caught by surprise. And likewise, Christ says that he will return like a thief in the night. There will be no warning other than the warning that we see here. And just like for Sardis, and that no one was warned of attacking enemies, Christ will come, whether you're ready or not. And Christ tells them this to stimulate them into action. And likewise, he's telling you here in Bloomington, so you too are on your guard. Always be ready for Christ's return. Never fall asleep. And when Christ returns, we do not want him to find a sleeping church preoccupied with unnecessary issues 
a church that's lost sight of the gospel. And when Christ returns, we want this church to be faithfully living for Christ. So keep watch. Well, thirdly, Christ's remedy is for you to remember the gospel. So as well as being called to wake up, there is this call to remember in verse three. Remember the gospel. Now, a few years ago, Heather and I visited Mount Stuart. And Mount Stuart is an old stately home in Northern Ireland. It was built in the 1700s. has these massive rooms for the family to display all their wealth. And when we visited this stately home, they're in the midst of an enormous restoration project. Cost it millions of pounds, took three years to complete. And one part of the restoration was to redecorate and they wanted to restore the rooms to their original paint colors, which is when it was last painted in the 1950s. And this is more difficult than it sounds for it's not possible to simply go into the store and buy that paint again. And the paint that is already on the walls, well, over the years, the paint colors have changed because of the sunlight, because of pollution. And so it's actually a work of science to identify the various color pigments that are on the wall so to get the original color. In the same way, the church at Sardis was told to remember. They also had to remember, like they were trying to remember the paint color and Mount Stuart church at Sardis had to remember something much more important. Remember the gospel, how they had received it and heard it, how they held fast to it and repented of their sins. And so likewise for you, go back and remember who you were when Christ transformed you, how you were once lost in your sin. It was the gospel that made you aware of your sinfulness that you are guilty before God, that you need salvation. And remember how you were so amazed at the love of Christ, that he is a perfect God-man who was willing to lay down his life to save his people, people who hated him. And his love was revolutionary. And yet, like all revolutions, time passes, and we no longer feel the same excitement. And so when you hear the gospel, you must not forget the transformation that it caused in your own life. You must remember who you once were as a wretched sinner and who you now are as a child of Christ. Your deeds were unfinished, but Christ's work of obedience made them complete. You were dead, but you were made alive in Christ. And the result is when you hear the gospel message, you delight in it. And this is how you also continue in the Christian life. This gospel is what the church in Sardis was founded on. And this is the truth that our church here in Bloomington is founded on. And it's how we continue. Christ tells the church at Sardis to repent. And so the life of a Christian is one of continual repentance. We can't grow lackadaisical we are to, as we continually sin. No, we need to continually repent of our sin. And this is hard. Because we live life in an instant world. We get instant money from the ATM. We get instant food from our takeaway. We get instant communication, whether it's through our phone or through our email. We don't tend to like anything that takes time, that takes work. It can feel slow. But the Christian life is anything but instant. It's a relationship. 
that deepens with faith and repentance. It doesn't happen overnight. It takes time. But the crucial thing is to grow, is to remember the gospel. It is by grace that you have been saved and you continue to be saved by grace. Well, fourthly, let's notice Christ's reward for those who walk with him, verses four and five. So like in the previous letters, we see there are some who remained alive, they are awake, they are remembering the gospel, they are faithful. And Christ responds by encouraging them. He describes these overcomers as those who have not soiled their clothes. For while everyone else in the church has not been faithful, these folk have continued to trust in Christ. And Christ commends them for their stance. It can't be easy for them being in this church that is dying. But we also can never use that as an excuse. Well, I'm a weak Christian because of my church. No, by encouraging these believers, Jesus also places a hope for the rest of the church in Sardis. Christ calls on those who are not part of this remnant to overcome and so likewise be dressed in white. And clothing is often used to describe us as Christians. Before we became a Christian, we wore our clothes, clothes that are covered in dirt, describing our sinfulness. But after, when Christ works in our life, he removes those dirty clothes of sin and he gives us new clothes, his clothes of righteousness, of perfection. And so as Christians, you are wearing Christ's clothes and Christ gives us clothes of white, completely clean, completely perfect. Paul describes this in Ephesians 5. And he talks about husbands love your wives just as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for her that he might sanctify and cleanse her with the washing of water by the word, that he might present her to himself a glorious church, not having spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that she should be holy and without blemish. And that's how we can have a relationship with a perfect God. He can never look at anything imperfect. And so that we therefore approach him in these new clothes. We also see that our names are included in the book of life. Sardis was this church that had a great reputation and yet few of its members had its names in the book of life. And so Sardis, it could get the best reviews from its local community. Individuals could get their names on various memorials, whether it was in the church or whether it was in the city. And don't we see that today? People getting their names inscribed on park benches, on bricks, on various walls or memorials. Even your names are on the roll of our church here. But that means nothing if your name is not in the book of life. So there is a reward for the faithful, an encouragement for us who are walking with the Lord. Our name is in the book of life and as a result we know security. We are wearing the clothes of Christ, the clothes of righteousness, and so we are acceptable to God. Well, fifthly and finally, listen and be empowered by the word of Christ, verse one and verse six. So at the beginning of this letter, Christ describes himself as holding seven spirits of God and the seven stars. 
Now, Revelation is a picture book, and the imagery of seven, well, that points to perfection. The seven spirits point to the Holy Spirit in his perfection, in his completion. The seven stars that points to the messenger in each church, the preacher. And so in describing himself in this way, Jesus is reminding the church in Sardis that he has the power to make them alive. And so the spirit awakens their hearts. The minister preaches the word, which is powerful, that convicts, that converts. And so we see here the word and spirit together. And so while Sardis may have had the word, they were lacking the spirit. They were not realizing their deadness. And yet Christ has the power to make them alive again. And this letter ends with, He whose ears let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. Do you have ears? My children maybe are thinking, well, yes, of course, I've got two ears. But Christ here is referring to our spiritual hearing. Are we willing to hear what God has to say? Ears that are open to the Spirit working in your heart, that believe the truth that the Spirit is powerful, that He converts, that He transforms. And the test is are you hearing what God has to say to you? On a plane journey, at the beginning of the flight, they go through the safety instructions. Make sure your seatbelt is securely fastened. There are six exits on this plane, two in the front, two in the rear, two over the wings. Please check your closest exit may be behind you, and so on and so on. We're so familiar with these instructions. We barely even hear them anymore. We switch off. We do not listen. And yet the reality is these safety precautions are to ensure your safety. They could even save your life. Well, this letter to Sardis, it was a wake-up call to a sleeping church, a church that was described as dead, a church that was called to watch out, to remember the good news of the gospel. They're called to live a life of repentance, to desire a deeper and growing faith and the reward will be eternal life. The letter, this letter to the church in Sardis is also a letter to us here in Bloomington. If you're sleeping, if you're backsliding, you are to wake up. You are to hear this message of this letter. You're to wake up from your complacency by remembering the gospel. Otherwise, you will not be ready for Christ's return and so not have your name in the book of life. Amen. Let's pray. Father God, we do pray that you would wake each one of us up this evening. Where if we have grown cold or indifferent, that we would see our deadness. Instead, wake us up that we would keep watch and that we would remember the gospel that first transformed us. That we would continue in repentance of sin and that we would seek to see our lives grow in our faith in you. Lord, remind us of this wonderful promise that you've given us these clothes of righteousness and that you've written our names in the book of life. And so we thank you for that security that we have in you. And we pray, Lord, that our hearts would be devoted to you in response. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, please turn in the blue psalm book to Psalm 96D. Psalm 96D. 
And notice stanza six, in holy splendor robed, bow down before the Lord, before him tremble all the earth, to nations speak their word. And so here we see we are robed in Christ's clothes, and so we can approach God who is holy. And so let's praise God, for he is the glorious God. Let's stand and sing Psalm 9060.